Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Well, and I, I anticipated he'd say, are you crazy? Of course not. Uh, I asked him, well, you know, I'm a pastor. Should I go to church? And he said, well, yeah. <laughs> well, all right then. I'll go. So here I am on doctor's orders, really. But I decided, uh, and I don't think I'm infectious or anything, so you don't have to worry too much. We're all going to have a baptism here in a a moment. We're excited about that, too, baptisms. uh, So that's the health report. The other thing uh, is uh, just about dads. Thank you, uh, dads, for being great dads. And some of us have been great dads. Some of us have not been, and we know ourselves. And we we can cast sometimes um, guilt and shame because of that. And then we, we come into a relationship with the Lord, and we still feel badly. And perhaps there's a part of that bad that's necessary just to remind us about the good, that the good is possible. Uh, but there's forgiveness in the Lord, isn't there? Uh, furthermore, we have had dads that have been good and bad. And so we praise God for goodness. The only reason we know what, uh, what, what good is is because of the bad. When bad happens, we, we have something to contrast it with. And so uh, we want to thank you, Lord, for the good dads that we had. And uh, we also, Lord Jesus, thank you for any kind of dad, because we're here because of dads and because of moms. And we love you for that. I will say, praise God, from whom all blessings flow for my dad. I used to be pretty harsh on my dad. Uh, used to criticize him for this or that thing in my life. And, uh, and then it all of a sudden dawned on me. Uh, I came to Mississippi, and I've been here for 33 years now. I came here to Mississippi, and I looked up, and I don't know when it dawned on me, but a comparative analysis sometimes is good. It can be very evil sometimes. Uh, how am I comparing? And that's really not the point, is it? But sometimes comparative analysis can be good. So I'm thinking, what happened in my life or didn't happen in my life versus what is happening or what's not happening in another location with another group of people. We come to Mississippi, and you probably know the stats, maybe you don't, that this is the most fatherless state in the nation. Did you know that? We are number 50 uh, in, this, in this nation for fatherlessness. Uh, when you are born to this uh, state, there's a 50, I think it's 54% chance that you won't have a father. That's stunning. And that's before divorce and other things kick in. So I just, I start thinking about my own life. And I start thinking about my dad. And I got to tell you, there are some things he didn't get quite right. But there's a lot that he got very right. He was a hardworking man. How about that for praise God from whom all blessings flow. He worked hard at a job he didn't like for his whole life because he thought he had to do it in order for us to have a next week. And so he kept at it. And uh, then one day he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He says, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for my wife, and it's good enough for my family. And he brought us all along. And so that guy that came from the, uh, from the, I mean, he came from a very difficult family himself. If anybody had an opportunity to be disgruntled with his family, it should have been my dad. But he didn't gripe about his dad. He didn't gripe about his mom. He just came from them, accepted a different way of doing things, and then said, I'm going to trust that all the rest of the family will come along. 
and he dragged us along. Two of the five of those kids are preachers now. So I, I praise God for my dad. I, however, feel a little, always feel a little bit funny about Father's Day because my family does a pretty good job of casting light on the family. I like to cast the light off to other people. So I just want to say thank you to the child that is here today from my family, and that would be Josh, our worship leader. Uh, and Josh is not going to be a worship leader, but another week or two. Uh, he's decided to step down. He didn't want to do it in the first place. I want you to know that. Um, he, he never wanted to be a worship leader, but we needed him. Uh, the worship leader left. We didn't have one. And so I asked Josh to take it over because I knew he was trustworthy. I knew he'd be here every week. I knew that he had some, the skill set to do it and the leadership capacity. Uh, but he's decided, I, da- I, I need to take care of my business now, Dad, and i got to write a uh, dissertation for his Ph.D. in leadership. And so he's going to be doing that now with a more uh, in- intense focus. But I want to say, uh, Josh, thank you for uh, being faithful to your dad, for being faithful. Mm-hmm. For being faithful to this church and to be faithful to this worship team, uh, I, I very much appreciate it. Uh, it's not been your favorite thing to do, I get that, but you've done it, and you've done it well. So thank you very much, appreciate that. So let's get to the text, shall we? Uh, Psalm 55 and Luke 10. Let me say we have been talking about uh, obstacles to abundant living. And the first thing we talked about was worry. Worry comes from an old root word that actually means strangle. And I believe worry can strangle us. Uh, then we talked about, and we've we got we to let the Lord have our worry and cast all our anxiety upon Him. Uh, last week we talked about, and by the way, the second week we talked about unforgiveness. You have got to forgive. And the Lord says you've got to forgive if you anticipate being forgiven by me. The way you forgive others is the way I will forgive you, or not. That's a, that's, a, that's a wild word right there. That's a challenging word. So if you've got any unforgiveness in your, in your head right now, you've got to say, I've got to deal with that. Because God says, I will forgive you in the same way. And some of us will say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. <laughs> is that what you want God to do with you? I'd figure out a way to forget. You say, well, I just can't do that. Well, let me say... I would do everything you could to try to say nothing but grace that way, and I'm going to say, now I receive all the grace that he has for me this way. Amen? Then, last week, we talked about pride, and pride's a big one. Pride might be everything, might be the thing, uh, and pride frequently leads to anger. If someone typically has an anger problem, they usually have a pride problem, and uh, we talked about that. This week, we talk about distraction. Lord Jesus, help us with our distraction. Distraction is something that moves us away from what we really want. So we're headed to something we really want, but we take a side road because we're distracted. Now, I want you to think about the opposite. I asked my family this week, what's the opposite of distraction? And if you think about it, it shouldn't take any thought at all. Traction. Right? Distraction is the negative of traction. Traction is we are definitely moving towards that which we really do want. We got traction that way. Distraction is we've lost traction that way. 
So it's distraction and traction. And I tell you, we live in a distracted age, do we not? Does anybody here think, oh, no, 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 we are honed in and focused. We're focused on one thing in our culture. Are you kidding me? Our money, our money says in God we trust, but does anyone believe it? I mean, if we could only live up to that and keep focused on it. 64% of car accidents are caused by distracted driving. And by the way, what do you think the distraction is? Yeah. The average student can focus on a given task for only two minutes by the research. The typical Internet user's online screen focus lasts for an average of 40 seconds. The average 25 to 34-year-old checks his or her phone 50 times a day. The average 25 to 34-year-old spends two and a half hours per day on social media, while the average 8 to 18-year-old child spends nine hours on social media per day. So what's the result of all this? It leads to decreases in marital and relational satisfaction. Loneliness becomes epidemic. 54% of people are now saying they feel that no one knows them well. See, social media isn't very social. It does not create deeper ties with other people. It may be doing something, and frankly, I kind of like it because it keeps me in touch with my high school class. I don't like them anymore. I just know what they're doing. (laughs) On average, we spend 650 hours per year reading and responding to emails. We touch, we swipe, we tap our screens. Get a load of this. This is hilarious to me. We, some of you are doing it right now. Stop it. We touch, we swipe, we tap our screens. An average of 2,617 times per day. That's average. It's an interesting interview uh, with uh, two young artists from San Francisco, a guy named Sam Fuchs and, and, and Adam Gray. And they had a lot of interesting data in there, but yet they had some interesting quotes. And th- these are the quotes that I, I got out of there. Uh, one of them said, I feel like distraction has a big part to do with our generation's story. I wonder what sort of effect it will have on us in 10 years. But it doesn't seem like it's trending towards a more productive future for us. You see, productivity is what we're headed towards, but distraction keeps us from that productivity. Everyone's sort of mentally obese, said Fuchs. He says, I feel like distraction has a big part to do with our generation's story. And Gray said, we're not going to be a great generation. We're too self-absorbed, spending most of our time on frivolous things, like posting photos of ourselves. We're just the cool kids. We'll be the cool generation. Now, the translation we read from this morning was not the NASB, but the NASB, the American Standard, uh, says this, Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Verse 2, give heed to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint, and I'm surely distracted. I looked up that word in the Hebrew, whom. It means to make a commotion, an uproar, or to agitate greatly. We're focused, but now we're not focused because there's so much noise in my life. There's so much agitation in my life. There's so much commotion in my life. I can't hone in. I can't focus in. 
And of course, that noise, that whom, was the enemy. Now, David was talking about real enemies. He was talking about people that were trying to kill him. But I'm thinking, on another wavelength altogether, is there something that's trying to get us that is our enemy that's making a commotion, that is distracting us? I've said this before, but I love this. Tony Campolo talks about, well, he was at the University of Pennsylvania. He once asked a kid sitting on the front row, thanks, Edward, for sitting on the front row today. He once asked a kid sitting on the front row, young man, tell me something. How long have you lived? And the kid replied with his age, 21, 21 years. Then, no, 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 no. That's how long your heart's been pumping blood. I want to know how long have you lived? And then Campola went into a little story. He says, uh, in 1944, my fourth grade class took a field trip to the top of the Empire State Building. He says, when we got out of the uh, elevator, he says, uh, we did what, you know, fourth grade classes do. You start chasing the girls, you start pinching your buddies, you start laughing and telling jokes. But somewhere in the midst of all that, something happened, said Tony Campolo. He says, in the midst of all that, on that observation deck, in one mystical, magical moment, I looked up and I saw the city. He says, if I live for a million years, that moment will still be part of my consciousness. It's freeze-framed in my brain because I was fully alive when I lived it. Then he went back to the student. He says, now, let me ask you that question again. How long have you lived? And the kid said, well, don't you put it that way? A minute, maybe two. And that's the price of distraction, friends. You can't live fully if you are distracted. And so the Lord says, I'd like your full attention. Will you please give me your full attention? And in so much as you can do that, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of danger, even in the midst of troubling times, if you can give me your full attention, that means you're really living. That is the abundant life in Jesus Christ. So I think there's some things we need to do. Number one is this. Decide what is spiritually critical to really want. You've got to decide what it is we ought to really want. Now remember that word, the Hebrew word whom. It's noise. Now listen, I'm not against noise. Some of you know that one of the things we did in our family was made an age 18 list. What we said with that age 18 list is, this is what we want our kids to be like at age 18. Now, we recognize they're going to have their own personalities, and the list might not go perfectly for every one of them. We thought, in general, this is the kind of stuff we, this is what we want for them for money. We want them to be out of debt. We want them to know how to balance their own budget. We want them to know how to save. Uh, we want them to know how to give. And so we had our methodology on how to teach them these things. Um, by the way, for all these, most of it's example, mom and dad, which meant when we made the list, that means, whoa, that's our list now. we got to be these people. We, we had all kinds of things. And by the way, if anybody's interested in that list, 
the better part of it is in the book, uh, Discipleship in the Home, out there on the rack. Uh, so one of, the, one of the parts of the list was music. What do we want our kids to be musically? Well, we want them all to play an instrument uh, and, you know, want them to enjoy music. Uh, one of the things I wanted them to love was to sing. And, and I knew, since we mostly had boys, and sometimes boys are shy about singing, I just thought, well, they need to see Dad be crazy about singing. And I, I kind of do like singing. But I, they need to see me lead singing. They need to see me do singing. They, they need to see me in the den with my guitar singing. And not be shy about it. Kind of think, hey, this is a natural, normal thing for a kid to do. And so there we go. But the whole thing about an instrument, I wasn't anticipating the noise. <laughs> Do you remember that scoundrel named Rob Pokai? <laughs> you know what he did one day? He didn't ask nobody for this. He actually bought, uh, brought over a, uh, what, do I wanna, what do I call this? Uh, yeah, what, drum set? Is that what it's called? Drum set? I don't know. To this day, I can't quite hear what you're saying. He brought over a drum set, the whole kit, the whole thing, and he drops it off. I'm thinking, and it's in the house before I even get home. No one tells me. No one calls up and says, emergency, emergency. Your pseudo friend, they could have said, should have said, former friend, Rob Pokai just dropped off a drum set. No, it wasn't one of those cool electric ones where you can put your, your, you know, your, 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 your ear set on and, and you can hear him do it and you don't have to hear it. Oh no, it wasn't one of those cool sets. It was the real deal. Wham, bam. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, hey, that's what we wanted. We wanted him to work on an instrument. That's what we wanted. Oh my word. Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> but it's horrible every step of the way. I know you're thinking, hey, piano, that's beautiful. Not when they're learning, it's not. No, it's not beautiful. And even when they, even, you know, still, I mean, to this day, I love, I love it. But to this day, sometimes enough's enough. I got to get out of here. I got to go to my room and turn something else on. I just, ah. Oh. But that was the price. Some noise is good. Some noise is traction, right? Some noise is distraction. So you've got to decide what kind of traction is of the Lord and Everything else is distraction. For me, that thing was traction. Because guess what? Every one of them plays at least one instrument, and most of them play more. And it's a really a great thing. In fact, one of them's leading music this morning, and we don't know how he's leading it. Sometimes he leads from the drums, sometimes from the bass, and sometimes right behind the mic with a, with a guitar. Another one's leading music at another church in town here. I mean, praise God. But I had to go through a lot of whew, traction to get there. Y'all, you need to discern what is there the noise that God wants in my life, and then what is the noise He doesn't want. You want to pray more? Well, guess what? Some things get some traction, some get, things get less traction. Less traction, if you want to pray more, how about less TV, less entertainment, less internet, less podcast? And how about more devotional time, and things like car trips all of a sudden now can become sanctified because you're talking with Jesus or you're listening to Scripture uh, all the way over here. I was listening to hymns, uh, 
every time we came to church uh, as the kids were growing up, we got in the car and we started uh, doing either hymns, what well, we did usually both hymns and the psalms. And they had many psalms already memorized. So we start with Psalm 1, hymn, Psalm uh, 24, hymn, Psalm 23, hymn, Psalm, and we just, we, we'd have devotional time coming to church. Y'all, that got traction. Other things got distraction. Which do you want for your kids? And more particularly, what do you want for your relationship with the Lord? What ought to get more traction? Second thing is this. Get a plan to diminish distractions. You got to know what the distractions are. Some of them feel very innocent. I get that. But this is what John Wesley said. I found the enemy ready day and night to devour me. When in private prayer, I thought he had hold of my clothes. What? John Wesley said, when I'm praying, I felt like the devil had hold of my clothes. For many nights, he suggested, if I prayed, he would appear and tear me to pieces. Ye fools, did you suppose the devil was dead or that he would not fight for his kingdom? One of the ways the devil fights for his kingdom is he distracts us from what we really want because what we really want is to know God. But frankly, I wouldn't mind listening to that thing right now. I wouldn't mind a little pornography right now. I think I can fit both of them. I can budget both of them in my life. A little pornography over here uh, and a little God over here. And men, we struggle with this, don't we? Oh, I get not all of us, but a lot of us struggle with it. And can I say, tell you, a lot of pastors struggle with it too. I'll tell you straight up, not this pastor, but I'm also going to tell you, almost every pastor in the nation that does struggle, it will tell you the same thing, not this pastor. Y'all, that is a distraction. And God says, away with the distractions so that you can make way towards me. Hmm. Tony Schwartz writes in the New York Times, addiction is the relentless pull to a substance or an activity that becomes so compulsive it ultimately interferes with everyday life. By that definition, nearly everyone I know is addicted in some measure to the internet. It would seem the internet has replaced work as our most socially sanctioned addiction. Cannot do without it. One recent survey cited in this very article in the New York Times says that the average white-collar worker spends six hours a day on email, not including shopping online or social media interaction. And he goes on to say the brain's craving for novelty, constant stimulation, immediate gratification creates something called a compulsion loop. First step to this, making this right, is admitting you've got a problem. And I hope there'll be some of us today that admit, I've got a problem with distraction. Now, the Journal of Pediatrics comes out with an article, peer-reviewed. And it says, in a study of mobile devices, we find, guess what, they're disrupting family relationships. And guess who the biggest culprit of mobile device abuse. Children? No. Teens? Nope. It was the parents. Go to a restaurant. Watch it. Just look over. I mean, if you look up from your own device, look over and see how the other family's doing. (laughs) It's the adults that'll be typing and swiping. They were more fully focused on their screens 
than those who were making actual phone calls. The ones paying the most attention to their children were not doing anything with their mobile devices. But here's a no-brainer. Children can feel hurt by this lack of attention. And guys, what's the worst thing of all is they get used to the hurt. And they won't really feel upset until they're 30, 35, 40, when they say, that shouldn't have been happening. So, we need to get a plan to gain traction. Here we go. Number one, we already said it. Admit, I've got a problem. And Jesus wants me out of this problem. Number two, let God help you decide what you want more of. Now, some of you will remember this. It was a great coach. And actually, he was an All-American basketball player at the uh, University of Kentucky. Actually dated a couple times a friend of mine. But uh, he went on to greatness. Uh, and he's, uh, and by the way, she did too. By the way, her greatness is far greater than his greatness. She, to this day, in her 70s, is a missionary in the Congo. That's better than the NBA Hall of Fame, I guarantee you. And someday I'll tell you the story about that, too. This is a great story. But Pat Riley was his name. And I remember the day where Magic Johnson came out of the locker room and said, you won't believe what Pat Riley just said to us. And I do remember it. This is what Pat Riley said. Almost every team that's great for a moment gets the disease of more. Championship pro teams in the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, the NHL, they almost never repeat. They win a championship, then they can't keep it together because they get the disease of more. At first, the more was winning the championship. But once players got the championship, the more becomes money and more TV commercials and more endorsements and more accolades and more playing time and more plays called for them and more media attention. And so what Pat Riley did is he moved in to that. Is God calling? (laughs) I'll take it. That is... We recognize, he, this is what Pat, 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 Pat Riley said. He was, they just won the championship. He says, okay, everybody, let's come together. And they anticipated a greatest season ever. They didn't get that. Everybody was there, and Pat Riley says, okay. Now, at, from this very moment on, I want us to quit thinking about how great this was and start thinking about how we can do it again. And then he's, I, I'm, I'm quite sure. He never said it, but I'm quite sure he said this. I've done the research. NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, champions don't repeat because of the disease of more. What I'd like to do is, everything that happened this year to create this, I want to do it again next year. And I want to repeat. No one ever repeats. I want to repeat. And guys, they did repeat and repeat and repeat. They kept repeating because the disease of more didn't hit them. They got the blessing of more. Do you want the disease of more or the blessing of more? And so therefore, we all of a sudden decide, what do we want more of? And say, Jesus, I want more of you. And I get that there are distractions in my life. 
So Lord, could you help with the distractions? Show me what they are. And God, I recognize that some of the things that are, I'm not even going to notice because I got so used to them. I'm so used already to four hours of TV. I'm, every day, I'm so used already to being addicted to the phone. Y'all, maybe what we need to fast from on certain days of the week is the phone. How about whole weeks without the internet? You think, are you kidding me? You keep talking about fasting. Man, I'll just go ahead and do the 40-day fast without food, nothing. But I don't want to do a week without the internet. Oh, no. But y'all, that's where we're at. We are addicted to the distraction. And so we need to admit we have a problem. Then we need to go to God and say, what do you, you want me to have more of? Then the third thing is this. <laughs> you know, you can believe this. I want you to say it with me. Develop quiet eyes. Quiet eyes. Say that. Develop. All right. Say, what in the world's that? I'm into sports analogies today. I'll admit it. But I've noticed this in great athletes. And by the research now, they can prove it. There's a, researchers have noticed that great athletes, and they're starting to think, it's not only true there, they're starting to say now, if it's true with athletics, we wonder if it's true in policing or in the military or if it's true in music, performance of any kind. But they noticed it with athletics. They call it enhanced visual perception. It eliminates any distraction as they plan their next move. They develop a quiet eye. More focus during times of stress, and it prevents the athlete from choking at moments of high pressure. It's almost like that guy at the free throw line. And you're behind by two. And you need both free throws or your season is over. Does that guy at the free throw line have a quiet eye? So it's quiet eye. Kinesiologist Dr. Joan Vickers says, okay, we got professional golfers. And they linked them up to a device. And they found out that the better the player, the longer and steadier their gaze on the ball just before and during their strike. Novices were shifting their focus. Lesser players were shifting their focus. But the great golfers have quiet eye. And so Jesus, whatever that is spiritually, we want it. We want quiet eye to be able to focus on you in an age that's distracted by iPhones and gadgets and billboards and the Internet. Could you help us to generate a quiet eye for Jesus? The last thing is this. We need to love less. We need to love less and love life. Love less? Yeah, because some of the stuff we love, we shouldn't love. Remember Mary and Martha? We read that. Listen, I, was, I looked up the word distraction, and it was only two places in the whole Bible in my NASB, only two. There in Psalm 55, we read it, and the great lesson, whom? And, uh, and then later it's in uh, the Mary and Martha passage, and again, a different translation, but it says that Mary was distracted. 
Now, this is great. This is an interesting, interesting thing here. Mary was distracted. Now, listen, I think Jesus liked cleanliness and liked up, like places that were swept up. I think Jesus likes a clean room. He likes homemakers. He likes Mary's and Martha's. But Mary's sitting there in front of Jesus, and Martha is getting up and around. Martha, what are you doing? Martha's distracted. Why are you distracted? I'm here. I'm with you. I really don't care, and you shouldn't care either about the laundry that's piled up in the corner of the room. Come on. I'm here now. Y'all, when Jesus is in the room, pay attention to Jesus. And Jesus is in every room. Pay attention to Jesus. I, uh, I recognize... that it's easy to get distracted. Can you imagine how easy it must be to get distracted if you're, uh, oh, I don't know, Bill Gates? Really? Wouldn't you be distracted if you had, how many, how many billions he had now? 60 billion? I, I, 80? One, one billion would be fine for me. One million would be fine. Some days a dollar would be great. Can you imagine? How distracted could your life get knowing there's nothing in the world you can't have? Nothing. Including any beautiful woman you wanted. Almost all of us can be bought. Anything. What what does that mean for distraction? Well, there was a guy like him not all that long ago you know, several thousand years, a guy named Shlomo. You know who I'm talking about? Shlomo Solomon. When I go into a public school, I use the word Shlomo and tell the same story, but they don't know I'm talking about Solomon, so I'm good and clear. I'm telling Bible stories. They don't know how to just change the names. So Shlomo one day, that, that's what it is in Hebrew. Shlomo one day says, okay, come now, I'm going to test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. <laughs> Can you imagine being the richest man in the world saying, Come now, let's have ourselves a weekend or a year, or let's have ourselves a decade. Enjoy yourself. Whatever your heart desires, give it that thing. Whatever you want, you get. Whoa, let's party. And he does. This is what he says in Ecclesiastes 2. So this is what he did. I built houses for myself. I got to admit, that's not the first thing I do. It's the first thing mentioned. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. Got to admit again, not the second thing I'd do, but that's what it says here. I had gardens. I had parks. I had fruit trees. I had ponds of water. Now we're getting closer. I had slaves, male and female slaves. I had flocks. I had herds. I had, now we're really getting close. I had silver and gold. I had the treasure of kings and provinces. I own more than some nations of the world. I provide myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men. I had many concubines. Uh, That's where we get the women part. In other words, everything, everything he ever wanted, he got. He says, then I became great and I increased all the more. 
But then you get down to verse 17. With everything in my possession, all wealth, all the women, all the pleasures, all the sex, everything I ever wanted, all the power, all the prestige, everything I ever wanted. So, I hated life. What does $60 billion get you? If you get it all, but you miss life, you're going to hate life. And right there it is. What does God want you to do? He wants you to love less. He wants you to love life. Now, I never tell the story about Martha and Mary without reminding everybody of this. Everybody thinks, okay, all right, all right. Because that's a, that's a woman's story and this is Father's Day. So let me end up with a man's story. That's a woman's story. Here's the man's story. Right there next to that passage, the Mary and Martha passage, do you know what the passage is? If you're not looking down, you know what the passage is? Everybody says, that's what we need to do. We need to rest in Jesus. If any culture needed to rest a little bit less, that would be us. You get off your tail ends and do something for Jesus. No, really. Some of us need to get going. Get moving. Jesus walked out the door. He said, follow me. He's gone now. He was in the room, but now he's gone. As long as he was in the room, praise him there. Now he's gone. What's he gone to do? What do you think he did? You can read about in the Gospels, he went out and served the poor and the oppressed and the disenfranchised and the lonely and the ignorant. He invested in those people. So the story that goes right next to Mary and Martha is a story of, well, one man's going. Along this route, it was called the blood route. It was a journey that was very, very, very dangerous. Because almost everybody that travels along this road is going to be disrupted by thieves and robbers. So a so man's going down this road one day, and uh, he gets pummeled, beat up. They beat him up good, and he's dying on the side of the road. And there he's going to die, because everybody's not, no one's going to mess with him. So here comes a religious man going down that road. He looks over and says, not me, and keeps moving. Second religious man comes along, goes down that road and says, Ooh, he's looking around. Too dangerous. Going to keep moving. Now, this is a race story. These are all Jewish people. All of them are Jews. Except this guy, the Samaritan. Now, that's uh, the half-breeds, so-called, in that day. They were hated. They despised Jews, and Jews despised them. And so this Samaritan guy headed down that same way. He stops and says, whoa, somebody's got to do something. And he stops and he does something. Now, he wouldn't have got in on the teaching of Jesus probably until the day he dies. And he's before the throne of glory. And Jesus says, 
because the nations are before him, right? You can read about this in Matthew 25 if you'd like. The nations are before him, including the nation of Samaria. The people of Samaria. The ethnic group of the Samaritans. So the nations are before him. And Jesus says, I was hungry. And you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison, you came to me. And then I imagine he looks down. At the Samaritan, maybe everybody hears this in his own language, in his own way. But he looks down at the Samaritan, and I was bleeding by the side of the road on that very dangerous journey, and I was dying, and I was dead, but not quite. And you, my friend, stopped, and you took care of me. Pal, and as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. You didn't know it, but that was me. But Jesus says, in as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And Jesus says, that means in the hurting and the despised and the lonely and the disenfranchised, you just need to accept, that's me, and then do something about it. Guys, if Jesus is in the room, you need to worship him in the room. But if Jesus is on the side of the road bleeding and dying, you need to get to the side of the road, pick him up, and take care of him. That's Jesus too. And y'all, can we, can we put all that together and make a good theology? And indeed, we can. Jesus in this room, not one of us are picking up someone bleeding and dying today. But I'm going to tell you, some of us are out there last week in front of an abortion clinic. Some of us were out there last week. We had a great time out the prison. I was one of those guys there. Some of us were out there taking care of situations in lives. And that's, that's the stuff of traction. Kingdom traction. And Jesus says, do away with distraction and come towards me. Sometimes I'll be in the room, I need to be worshipped. This is one of those moments called church. But there are other times I'm getting up, I'm moving out, and I will be in the poor and the impressed the downtrodden, the naked, the lonely, someone that's mentally distressed, someone that's emotionally wrung out, someone who's going to be bleeding by the side of the road, and you need to do, You say, but Jesus, Jesus, it's dangerous to do that. Jesus says, I know. I'll be with you. Father, Son, and Spirit, we want traction. In Jesus' name, amen.